welcome to episode four of Here We Are. Uh, got a lot to talk about today in the second episode this week. Going to try and give you guys two episodes every week where we break down what happened the previous weekend with the Bills and then uh, move on to just what the weekend ahead looks like. And uh, obviously with the Bills bye week, all kinds of things to get to today. Um, we'll break down some of them. What I see is some of the biggest priorities is the Bills head into what is a too little, too late break, in my opinion, but a lot to still be optimistic about, but also pessimistic as well. You guys have heard me in these past three episodes. I mean, this is starting to feel like what is a wasted season, but I still think there's a little left to salvage if the Bills can, uh, put their hard hats on, grab their lunch pails and go to work, as uh, some of the people say. So what we're going to cover today is just, you know, here we are with a six and six record, the bye week priorities, and uh, recap a little bit about what I saw from the Sabres at MSG on uh, Monday, beating the Rangers five to one. Suck it, Shisterkin, you loser. And uh, then we're just going to get into... What to watch in the NFL this week? I am in the top 44 of my survivor pool. The grand prize is $25,000. And uh going to go and give you guys who I chose this week. And then we're actually going to break down a couple bets that I really like for Sunday. So jumping in here, um, the Bills currently sit in 10th place at a 6-6 six and six record with what is the hardest remaining schedule left in the NFL. Now, there are reasons to stay optimistic given what we have seen out of this team since firing Ken Dorsey. And man, does he have his work cut out for him in these next uh, five weeks going into Arrowhead Stadium on December 10th, then following that up with the Cowboys at home. Then they head to Los Angeles against the Chargers on the 23rd. Come back home to the Patriots where they should avenge what could prove is one of the most costly losses of this entire season. And then closing it out in Miami against the frauds that are the Miami Dolphins. Now, been really thinking about just where did this season go off the rails and that first game against the Jets, I just can't. And I was at the game. It's two years in a row I've gone to that godforsaken stadium. But the Jets just have Josh Allen's number. And Zach Wilson has Josh Allen's number. This is two years in a row that the Bills have dropped their first game to the Jets. And what is, I think, the worst game I have seen Josh Allen play. But then they went on a little bit of a run, and that Dolphins game, I mean, that is what this offense can be. And I thought Ken Dorsey didn't really do anything that was super impressive, but we, week two, 38 points scored. Week three, 37 points scored. Week four, 48 points scored. That's who this offense is. But we then proceeded to not break 30 points until the Jets game. And I think 
the criticism of using Dorsey as a scapegoat, like, I, I, I just don't get that because I think it's so clear that the simple adjustments that we wanted the Bills to make all season is this little skid started was more motion, simplify the game for Allen and start using the middle of the field. And I was listening to Jeremy and Joe the other day on uh, WGR 550. Great show for any Bills fans listening that want to just get a great breakdown of guys who kind of cut through all the BS and just kind of tell it how it is. But in my criticisms of Sean McDermott, a lot of people are saying like, why players, the players play, the coaches are there to just manage. And why should McDermott take all this heat for what is the players at the end of the day, not closing out? Now, is there some truth to that? Yeah, definitely. I, I think that there's been some boneheaded mistakes by the players that are on the field. But if you go back to training camp, there's this fascination from McDermott to want to go 12 personnel. And I think Bills fans at the time were so excited about it because we had Dawson Knox, who's shown some promise. I'm highly critical of Knox. I, I think that um, he just doesn't have that like it factor that you see in the top tight ends in the NFL but you see it in Dalton Kincaid with his speed, his ability to beat a corner. There's no linebacker in football, maybe a few that can go toe to toe with him. But I think the 12 personnel is the biggest failure of this team because you can see it reflected in the points. It's the only game up until the Giants that we really committed to that 11 personnel and using the three wide receivers, we scored 48 points. Now, those other two games, yeah, we, we did hang a lot of points, but the Commanders and Raiders are terrible. I, I don't think it matters what we threw at them. We were going to blow them out. And 12 personnel is something that worked so well for the Patriots through the Tom Brady years. And it, McDermott just had like these weird like old school football thoughts of wanting to establish the run and have that extra tight end to protect Allen. And at the surface, it sounded really good. But at the end of the day, by the Patriots game, the Bills ranked middle of the pack at about 16th, I think, out of 12 personnel. You know, the only two teams in the NFL that were better in 11 personnel with three wide receivers the only two teams up to that Giants game that were better than the Bills in 11 were the Dolphins and the San Francisco 49ers. And that's that's what drives me so nuts about McDermott is just there's two types of coaches in the NFL. There's ones that this is our system and we're going to stick to it. I don't care. We're not going to adjust. This is what worked for us. And then there's ones that have their system, but are willing to play to their personnel strengths, which is 11 personnel, and go with that. And that takes us to the Jets game, first game of Joe Brady. In the last two games, the Eagles game and the Jets game, the Bills 
have had motion on 60% of their snaps. What did that result in? 32 points against the Jets, who I still believe are the best defense in the NFL, and it's not even close. And then the Eagles, who you could have a conversation of the Niners being better than them defensively, but let's call it a top five defense in the NFL. How many points did we hang on them? 34. So in two weeks, you were able through motioning and getting simple in routes, in the middle of the field, chunking away, running the ball effectively, you were able to hang 32 and 34 points in the time of possession was absolute domination. I think I saw going into overtime, the Eagles game, the time of possession was like 40 minutes to the Eagles 20. There's just no, when you look at these box scores of those two games, if you put it up and said, which team won, you'd pick, you'd pick the Bills stat line, not even knowing because 500, I think Allen had like 420 to 500 ish yards of total offense. Okay. Two rushing touchdowns, two passing touchdowns. It's just, it's, it's McDermott pulling the reins back and letting Joe Brady do what he does. It was absolute piss pouring rain. And the Bills were able to throw the ball 51 times. And we still ran the ball effectively in what should have been the game-winning touchdown drive. First three plays were runs, three first downs, okay? We didn't even face a second down until our four set of downs. So where we go and why I have some belief that this season could possibly be salvaged is going into the Chiefs game. If you score 30 plus points against the, this this year's Chiefs team, nine out of 10 times, I would say, we're going to win that game because the Chiefs just have not shown that they can put the points up that I have in the past. But they do have the best defense, I think, that they've had since this, hate to call it a rivalry because the Chiefs have had our number, but the last two years we have gone to Arrowhead and won in the regular season. One by 13, and I think the other one was by three, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm really interested to see what happens. But if we don't make the playoffs, and let's say we go three and two or four and one, which four and one to me in these last five games is going to get us in, I think. I think 10 wins in the AFC with some of these teams that are now garbage without their starting quarterbacks ahead of us should get us in, but let's pretend that it doesn't. And we run majority 11 personnel in those games. I, I just think it's so damning to McDermott at that point, because you knew what you had and you just didn't want to utilize it. Um, I do think a good friend of mine, buddy Mark mentioned that Bean could be to blame for some of this 12 personnel now too. And that's true because our, our first round draft pick did reflect a desire to go 12 personnel in Dalton Kincaid. We already had a high paid uh, tight end and we decided to pick Kincaid. 
but I never viewed that as a commitment to 12 personnel because Dalton Kincaid is just better than Knox. He gives you so much more out of uh, shotgun being able to utilize him in the blocking or across the middle of the field or beating a corner on the outside with a mesh concept, getting him out. Okay. I just think there's more there. Now, Knox is due back. And what terrifies me is plugging him back in and McDermott wanting to revert back to what they were using. And I just, it's going to make my head explode. But as we move into the bye week priorities, I think, like I just said with Knox, I'm so interested to see what we do with him because Dalton Kincaid should be there to stay. I think he's just proven to be more trusted by Allen. Allen's willing to push the ball down the field with him. And I think the blocking game, he's actually a little bit better than uh, Dawson Knox. The other piece is I think it's time to shut down Von Miller, at least for the next four weeks. Now, I know this is the most critical part of the season, but what is Von Miller giving you by having him fill a roster spot over some of the other guys that we have on our practice squad? I love Von Miller. I absolutely loved it when we signed him. He was one of the best, if not the best defensive end in football until he tore his ACL in Detroit. But he's a shell of what he was. And with how much money he's due next year, what are we accomplishing by having him out there with only one tackle for a loss, no sacks? Like, what what are we losing by just saying, Vaughn, just get right? And I really hope that we do that. Now, Allen's been a little banged up uh, with his throwing arm, the elbow injury that happened at the Jets game last year. I don't think it's been an issue, but what harm does the bye week do? Well, uh, Today is actually Stefan Diggs' birthday. Happy birthday to what is a top three receiver in football. Love him, but he is 30 years old. So what's that going to look like moving forward? How are we going to take off pressure of Stefan Diggs as he starts to get older? And again, another expensive player that we have. I think wide receiver two has to be the absolute number one priority for this offense moving into the offseason. And money is going to be a huge issue. But I think you've seen in the draft with even what the Vikings have been able to do drafting receivers is you can get a great receiver on a rookie contract that can make instant impact. You already have two all-star pass catchers in being Stefan Diggs and Dalton Kincaid. And Khalil Shakir is starting to come into his own. I'm really, really encouraged by what I've seen out of him. And, you know, they were talking again, going back to Jeremy and Joe this morning, they were talking about what happens with Gabe Davis at the end of the season. Um, He's just not a fit for what we want to do. To me, a wide receiver, too, has to be able to beat a corner one-on-one and get open. And in the last game, he had 106 yards. He had like six or seven catches and had a great game. But I think it was a result of just scheming him open. There was never a point where you just saw him break away, beat his guy, and make a play. And if that's going to be our wide receiver, too, that's just not good enough. 
I think what else is, and this isn't necessarily a bi-week priority, but just the Josh Allen hate this year is just so crazy to me. Now, the talking heads of ESPN were trying to say that the Bills are losing because of Josh Allen. You can go back and point to the Jaguars' loss, the Jets' loss, and maybe the Patriots' loss and say they lost because of Josh Allen. And could it be true? Yes. But Josh Allen drove them down the field with little time left to get a field goal in the Jets game and get into overtime. They did go three and out. Terrible game by Josh Allen. But then in the Jaguars game two, drove us down the field. Too little, too late. But then in the Patriots game, drove us down the field and gave us the lead and Sean McDermott pissed it away. Broncos game, drive us down the field, take the lead, 12 men on the field. Absolute disgrace. Not going to go back to that. Just pathetic. Eagles game, drive us down the field, get a touchdown. Sean McDermott pisses it away. Please tell me in those games why it's Josh Allen's fault that we lost that game. Josh Allen statistically is having one of the best seasons, if not the best season he has ever had. And it very well is going to go to waste. But how is someone like Jalen Hurts ahead of him in the MVP race? Uh, like, it, it was so clear in the Eagles game that he was absolutely the best player on the field. And it wasn't even close. And it's it, the fran you live and die by the franchise quarterback, and I, I get that. But without Josh Allen, this team is nothing, absolutely nothing. We are a below 500 team without him. And you could say the same about Jalen Hurts. And honestly, what my problem with Hurts is that he's an excellent quarterback. Don't get me wrong, but. He he's just had this habit this season of just when the team needs him at the end, that's when he starts to show up. But how many times are the Eagles going to dig themselves a hole and just have to crawl out? I really think it's going to catch up to them. I'm so interested to see if the Eagles can put four quarters together against the 49ers, who will be the best team they play all season. And lots going into that game, lots of uh, crap talk going between uh, Debo Samuel and Bradbury and Darius Slay and um, a lot of bad blood in that game. I'm really excited to see what happens. But yeah, it's it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting one. Um, moving forward here, moving away from the Bills a little bit to talk a little bit Sabers. I was at MSG for the Rangers Sabers game, and I. I think that was the most complete game that we have seen out of the Buffalo Sabres this year. That forecheck was absolutely relentless. I thought Zach Benson was absolutely excellent. And I just think that, you know, Bedard's in a league of his own, but I, I think we have something in Benson. The speed and precision with his passing that I saw and it's just, I, I, I'm really encouraged by it. But this Jekyll and Hyde stuff with the Sabres this year, I, I really think that in these last three games, the Devils game was terrible. 
but scoring three goals in the third period to beat the Penguins and then come and beat what is, I think, the best team in the NHL. Currently they are, but I still think they're better than the Bruins being the Rangers. Being able to go to their place and hang three goals, they got two empty netters, but hang three goals and not just three goals, but to one score first and play from ahead. And then also in the third period, when the Rangers were able to score on the power play on what was a horrible makeup call, uh, get to 2-1, come right back down and score and go up 3-1. For how young of a team in today's NHL they are to have that type of grit and moxie, we'll call it, to come back, score, and then get two more empty net goals and bury five against what is arguably the best goalie in the NHL being Shesterkin and get a win. And my God, Shesterkin was good, but wow, is Uka Pekalukinen coming into his own. When they flashed up the stats at the start of the game of saves and save percentage and all that, UPL is right there with Shesterkin. And I saw after the game, they sent Levi down to the Amherst. I think Levi has potential, but man, has he shown that he's not ready yet. I think that we have something right now in UPL and you got to ride the hot hand, but I'm so interested to see what happens with Levi uh, going down to the Amherst on loan. I, I, I just think as this offense starts to figure it out, this Tage Thompson injury stinks, but it sounds like we're going to get him back towards the end of December and Removing Tage Thompson, not intentionally, but just given that he's hurt, it's been so good to see guys like Middlestat and Benson and Tuck and Paterka, Dalene, like they got to figure it out because their guy's not there. And you saw that in that Rangers game. So I'm really interested going into, I think they get back on the ice on Thursday or Friday, see what they have. But we gotta start stringing some wings to get some wins together. But man, it's been a long, long rebuild with this Sabres roster. But you can just see there's these bits and pieces in these games where it's like we have something. And I, <laughs> I saw people saying that if the Sabres don't make the playoffs, maybe we consider getting rid of Granado. I look guys, Pagula's not getting rid of two head coaches in the same season, <laughs> but that being McDermott and Granado, these guys respond to Granado. And I, I just think there's a toughness of this Western New York team that isn't in a major market. They feel slighted. I, I'm, I'm so excited to watch these next few Sabres games and see if this is something. And I, my God, that save that UPL had has got to be up for save of the year. And it's plays like that and the tough goal to go ahead against the Penguins. Like those are the types of things where you watch and like, maybe this could be it, but we'll see. So as we move into what is week 13 of the NFL, I told you guys I'd give you the picks that I absolutely love. The Detroit Lions are going to the Superdome 
in New Orleans. I love them at minus four. Give me the Chargers at minus six. The Chargers are playing New England, who's just in complete disarray. They're giving six. I see them winning by 10 plus. And then my dog of the week is the Arizona Cardinals going to Pittsburgh, getting five and a half. I'm taking them at the money line at plus 200. See what happens, guys. I take no responsibility for these picks, but uh, of the bet I absolutely love. I think it's my super dog at two to one. It's going to be an interesting few weeks moving up here as the Bills, they are basically playing a playoff game from here on out. I think that the Bills have what it takes to get to the playoffs. Vegas is refusing to back off, keeping them as a top 10 favorite in the NFL to win the Super Bowl. It's 50 to 1 odds right now. $25 will pay you $12.50. Not bad. $25? Come on. You buy sandwiches that are more than that. Thank you. I will take that. And they are at plus 475 to get in the playoffs. I am laying both of those. Call them fan picks. But you look at how this offense is playing, man. I, I just, I'm, it's not over till it's over. And is it over? Yeah, I think so. And ultimately, I think these defensive injuries, if they did get in the playoffs, may prove to be too much. But here we are. So excited to take a week off here and we'll talk next week is the bills are heading to arrowhead which feels like the 9,000th year in a row that we have to play on the road there beside the point but appreciate everybody listening go bills go sabers and go syracuse with a great 23 point win over lsu really excited to see what's happening here in western new york enjoy your weekend off we'll be back next week